Welcome back at it to another episode of the Life in Red podcast, lifeinredpodcast.com, Life in Red pod on Twitter, and Life in Red podcast on Instagram and Facebook. My guest today, who I said this in the fashion episode with Camilla, but <laughs> here we are. I'm about to have a full hour episode talking about flowers, and it was one of the most deep deepest conversations I've ever had on this podcast. Uh, we talk about flowers and how they, you know, kind of, I guess, promote beauty, have some deeper meaning about life and growth to them. But we get into a conversation about motherhood, about a deeper set of intention, about social artistry, about mental health and expectations of society, and it all stemmed, uh, excuse the pun, but it all stemmed from a, a conversation around flowers. And it was, it was it just, I reflected back on it and I was just, I'm so thankful for this podcast and uh, giving me the ability to connect with people like my guest and have these conversations. Um, she is the owner of a company here in Ottawa. It's called City Love Flowers, which is sustainably and locally grown flowers um, has a great program where you can buy flowers and it will give it back to charities. Um, go check them out. Uh, I can't wait to use them for things like Mother's Day. And she's just about to uh, launch her business this week as we uh, have this episode coming out. Um, you can go follow them at City Love Flowers on Instagram. Please give it up for my guest, Kate Punnett. Take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I love when past guests connect me with new guests, so I'd like to thank Reagan for uh, hooking us up, and uh, very pleased to welcome Kate. Uh, welcome to Life in Red. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, nice to see you and hear you, hear your voice. <laughs> um, you are doing some pretty cool things and very unique things that I haven't had a chance to really talk about or, or really get into, and I'm excited to. But before we do that, I'd just like to check in. Uh, how are you doing? I know we're both in Ontario. It's a very difficult time uh, where we are for sure and for a lot of people across the country and around the world. But how, how have things been? How, how have How's the pandemic been for you? You know, it's been, um, it's been okay. Um, I think that um, I, I have three young kids and we already homeschool our kids before the pandemic. Um, so, and we kind of have a, a very home family lifestyle in the middle of the city. And um it suited what we were, our vibe already of being quiet and being home. But I will say we don't homeschool and we don't, you know, live in isolation from our community. And my kids really miss their friends and, you know, the up and down of, of what we're allowed to do, changing constantly and them trying to understand what the right thing to do is. And, you know, all of that stuff's been heavy. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I launched my, my business um, originally um, 
kind of quietly at the in the first lockdown and now we're in the third lockdown and I'm I'll be launching City Love properly my business properly out in the world so it's funny that you know, this whole time it's been under these heavy lockdowns that I've been celebrating this um, this project I've been working on so it's given my family a lot of I don't know, a lot of hope and a lot of excitement inside and in our gardens and that so mm-hmm. not bad yeah no it, it is interesting and sometimes I know for myself with with everything there's a lot of successes I've been able to celebrate but at the same time uh, very mindful of the things that have been going on around me and it's like oh you know like sometimes it feels weird to celebrate things but yeah and I also feel I feel very disconnected from my neighbors and I and that's my work has always been as a social artist I've always worked with my community with my neighbors and really understood what was going on and listened and talked and created with them. So um, it feels weird to not know what, you know, especially parents, I don't really connect to what's going on with parents who have kids in school. And that's a bummer to women, to mothers. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little isolated from, from that right now. Right. Well, let's talk about that work in in your business that um, has been soft launch and then getting ready for a big launch, which is amazing. Um, I've never heard the term social artist before. Uh, that's brand new to me. So can you describe that and, and, and what you do and what you've just launched? Yeah, okay. Well, I've been working um, with people and different mediums of art. Um, a social artist is someone who um, takes, uh, who creates an aesthetic. Um, and this aesthetic um, in some form is uh, the mission of it is to uh, create change. So if you think of the word responsibility, is, I always go back to this word, there's kind of a drudgery um, related to this term responsibility. Um, and how do, you, how do you go about switching on the light for someone to feel that responsibility without it feeling um, too preachy or too you know, to dog down. And I use art to um, kind of hopefully find that switch inside of people to turn on this ability to respond, which is taking responsibility and changing the changing it around into a real uh, progressive, active way of responding to something, you know, to anything. And and I've had different community projects, community murals and gardening and, and working with people um, in this way. And it's really, um, it's also turned, so, uh, a term is called social sculpture. So it's kind of creating something together. And um, the idea of a social artist actually is that we are all artists. We are all creating these um, experiences with people um, mm. together. And I'd been working in this way for a long time. It wasn't really until I started um, getting really into growing flowers and studying floristry um, and going down the path of being a florist that I realized that my social art um, and my floristry were really one the same, that I was using this medium that was, uh, had the capability of awakening, awakening people, bringing joy to people, um, a tool from, for improving mental health, all of these things. And um, that's when I really decided to start a business uh, working with flowers and people and community. Interesting. Um, there's so many ways we can give back. 
uh, that you know I give back by by speaking through the podcast, volunteerism. Um, you know, you can make donations. You can do a whole bunch of things. I'm curious, like so, using flowers and in this way of giving back. How take me through some of the process of of how this kind of works, not only in I guess the physical sense of planting the flowers and what that does for the community, but what are some of like the psychological, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual connections with, with doing things like this? Yeah. Well, when you look at the flower, you know, it's the flower is really the soul of the plant. It's that moment of um, ephemeral beauty where everything comes together and then, you know, there's the death and there's the, the whole journey of it. And that moment, is something we've all celebrated for so long and, mm-hmm. and giving flowers to our neighbors, um, bringing flowers inside on our kitchen table. is not, and it is not a new thing. This, this is what we've been doing in communities. And it's been a bit lost that, you know, we've been doing it for a long time, but this expression has been a, a bit lost, you know, um, this simple giving uh, to our neighbors and to grow things and to share things. And I think that, you know, really, I can touch on on loneliness, right? Especially mm-hmm. during the pandemic, um, this whole thing started with me um, bringing flowers uh, randomly to a senior who had, was shut in last year um, in May uh, during the first lockdown. Um, and she, I left a little card and I left it outside of her door um, of her high rise. I had found out she was locked in and I just really wanted to give her something. I didn't know her at all. And it sparked up a conversation. We still talk. Um, her name's Emmeline. We've been talking for the past year. She has no um, communication with the outside world. Um, and these flowers were just the start of something. Um, and she's told me how lonely she is. And, and uh, you know... I think that we can give, you know, we can donate money. We can donate our time. Yes. All these things for me, my medium is the flowers because I connect so uh, deeply to the beauty and how beauty and color and um, smells and um, what is the word? Um, Nostalgia. You know, these, and, and right now, especially when we're, we're not able to go back to our, our, you know, my childhood farm back in Nova Scotia, I can't go back there right now. I haven't been able to go, um, but I can grow the flowers and be taken back there. Um, so, yeah. It's like, I've always kind of known it in the back of my mind, especially as I became a, a mental health advocate and speaking about it and learning more about all the different ways you can support yourself and, and your well-being. And one of those things that always comes up is nature and getting outside. And there's, you know, there's the sun, there's a bunch of things, but connecting to nature and there's, I don't know if it's biological, if it's psychological, a bit of both, but the way we connect back to the earth and the things around us instead of, you know, our more urban lifestyle with cell phones and and internet and all those different things that there just brings that peace of mind and and brings something, I think, really deep in us, I guess. Is that why flowers spoke to you so much that you got into being, you know, a florist and and growing your, your own flowers? Is it, is it something you were like, missing with your mental health or something you were searching for? 
Yeah, well, I've been growing. I was a really big organic veg grower for the past, you know, couple decades. And um, in the middle of that, I had my children and I had three kids in three years. And my first uh, pregnancy was twins. Um, and I had a boy and a girl um, and a very uh, devastating birth. Um, and my daughter almost uh, didn't make it. She had severe brain trauma. Um, my twin, my other, my son and her had to go to separate hospitals. She was whisked away uh, on an ambulance and I had just had an emergency cesarean. So I couldn't even get up to follow her, you know, two hours away to the, to the nearest critical care bed for, for babies. And um, it really, it really traumatized me. Um, I had just expected everything was going to go well. <laughs> and I was mad at everyone for telling me that everything was going to go well. Um, and it was pretty devastating. Interestingly, I called my daughter Flora. Um, and that was something that when my husband and I met, we, we knew we'd have a daughter named Flora after a, a family member. And um, when she got better and um, it was a long time before I got better. Mm. And part of that process to me was giving everything into art. So I have a background in science uh, and education and had always, you know, done art on the side, let's say, um, but hadn't really fully realized the healing powers of being around um, um, creative energy and letting my creative energy come out. Um, and slowly and sh but surely, I think working with people, working with the earth, worth working with um, artistic mediums brought me out of that trauma. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting. It, uh, Flora turns 12 in two years. So what an interesting, you know, 12 years to say that city love has come, you know, this thing that I've, this gift that I've given to myself and to my family is really a healing story of, of home and what it feels to be home. You know, when you, before you become a parent or a mother is all I really understand. And before you become a mother, you think you're going to give birth and there's your home. Like there's, you build your nest and you have your babies, but it's not that straightforward birth trauma or not. So, um, being, being, it, there's this quote and it, and it's a famous quote that says, um, if you're not connected to, uh, you're made of nature. And if you're not connected to nature, then what you're actually saying is you're not connected to yourself. And I think in the end, that's what I, what the whole process taught me that I really just needed to connect to myself and my inner self is this really, um, inspired artist that has a story to tell and this is my story you know there's there's a, there's a lot there and i i know myself i'm not a parent and i actually had a, a an old high school friend who's now a doula and, and we were able to talk a little bit about that about postpartum and about that sort of trauma you go through when you expect like, like you said, like you expect everything's going well, everything's good. And all of a sudden the birth plan gets kind of thrown out the window. And then 
you know, you, and then you never really hear about like the stuff that comes afterwards, right? Like in the stories and, and I'm glad more people like yourself and, and others who are sharing that story as, as women, as mothers um, about those topics that aren't necessarily spoken about in, us, in, the, in the larger conversation of things. I do want to talk about healing um, because that's something I've very much become interested in in this story of healing over this pandemic myself. At the beginning of the pandemic, I went through an absolute, my whole routine was gone. And that, and I was built my whole life around my routine. And that threw me through one of some of the worst times of my life. And then I went through a breakup, like a month into it. And that went me, sent me to the kind of the bottom of the barrel. And I found doing these things I love, these things that really make me happy, really healed me. And I came out so much stronger on the other side. And I just, you talked about how being connected to the earth and, and, doing these things healed you. Can you go a little bit deeper into that, if you don't mind, and whatever you're comfortable sharing? Like, what was it? What were, like, the feelings like before and after about this healing process, doing what you were doing and expressing yourself through art like? Um, I think that it was that... I think it was understanding that I had a language um, that was not used every day, you know, and that it was kind of a secret language. And as soon as I was able to um, communicate with it, I felt, um, well, I felt free, but first and mostly I feel vulnerable. And um, I hadn't realized that I had created um, mystique about myself in a way with these walls around it and a perception and um, the language of vulnerability is so open-hearted you just can't you can't if you're attracting um, beauty and forgiveness and openness and healing and connection that's what's going to come into that you know um, a lot of other stuff comes in too but you're dealing with it without this wall and I think that for me being an artist is living in vulnerability um and I started to take chances of of putting out things into the world and working with people in new ways that took a lot of heart and um I feel like people together as a community I realized that I I could share my grief with with other women uh, with other mothers, with neighbors, and I could hold theirs as well. And I started to see the world totally different. You know, I started to realize that, oh, okay, all everyone else's wall is up too, you know, and we're, we're just, I mean, my favorite thing to do when my kids were really little was, is to do hand, handcrafting and knitting and crocheting with, with women while the kids played, because that, that's when the real stuff would come out, you know? Mm it's not at the park with a coffee to strangers. It's this intimacy, um, creating things with our hands and, and just with an open heart together. So I think the process for me was, um, is this tension of, of embracing some fear and knowing that I just couldn't, I couldn't heal alone. Mm. 
inside myself. I had to let it pour out. And the way it's poured out is manifested into this, um, it is manifested into every design that I create, every flower that I plant in my yard and, and connection I make with a neighbor, um, every donation I make. It's, it's all in that moment of just like vulnerable me. That's something that like truly resonates with me. And when I was sharing a little bit what I went through in the pandemic with you, um, coming out on the other side, being vulnerable, I've always been an open and vulnerable person, but being vulnerable in this particular circumstance for me, like it opened up so much of my eyes. And now all I want to do is share it, um, particularly with, with young men. Um, you know, when we talk about things like toxic masculinity and, Mm -hmm. and, and the way men are brought up and kind of taught to express themselves, their emotions, their relationships, you know, I, I always joke that, one of the biggest things that helped heal me is musicals. And I, I can't tell you why I never listened to them really before. I used to make fun of my brother for listening to them. <laughs> and then here I am doing full on dance routines to the greatest <laughs> showman. Um, and, 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 you know, it just, it made me so happy and I loved it. I would sing every word and it just made me feel so good that I was just like, you know, however you want to express yourself uh, as a, as a man is, is masculine in a way. And it's not, it can be feminine in terms of a traditional sense, but really it doesn't make you any less of a man as long as you're doing what makes you happy. Thank and- you for saying that. My, my son, it's one of the reasons um, homeschooling is, is a big thing for us is I don't think culture is, um, expresses what you're talking about well. And um, my husband's had similar, mm-hmm. um, uh, a similar journey with this toxic masculinity and um it's important for our son to not have that you know he had he's absorbed it to, to some degree of course we're not we're not he's not here sheltered up or anything but yeah it's these are big things for for boys right now I come from it I was a I was a small town competitive hockey player and if, uh, <laughs> you know you know anything about the sports world and oh, men yeah. and you know, it wasn't a healthy place. And even though I knew it was wrong then, sometimes I participated just to fit in. And I like just knowing what I know now, that's why I want to go back. Getting on the topic of women and motherhood and, you know, what sorts of barriers are, are put up and like, you know, I'm not asking to spill any, you know, personal stories uh, or secrets or anything like that. But, you know, when you're in this group with women and, and you're talking and people are starting to open up and vulnerable, what are some of the, the commonalities of, you know, what women are experiencing and maybe too afraid to open up about in, in t- with their, their own lives to their peers, to their, their families, but are comfortable in this space to, to really start opening up and being vulnerable? I think, um, I think one thing that I share with a lot of women um, is this kind of devastating loss of yourself. Um, and I, I, um, I think in, in culture and media, motherhood seems like a blip in a way, and you're still able to, um, told as a woman that you can still be successful. You can still have everything. Um, it's not really a common thing to say you are going to be maybe not wanting to do things the same anymore. 
you know, and you're going to be a different person and you're going to be changed and it might be really hard and you're not going to relate to people the same. And I, I think that what I, what I hear a lot of women say is they're surprised about that, which is seems still to be the, to this day, 12 years after my first kids, um, confusing that women are still surprised. So I don't really understand where the conversation is around that. Um, and, um, I personally, in my sphere of, of women, I, I have a lot of women who want to stay home, but think they can't. And they want to, they don't really want to join kind of the hustle movement. Um, they really want to take a slow approach to what they're going to do next, but it's challenging. I mean, if you live in this big city and you've already bought a house um, and you're living on two incomes, you just, you're kind of forced to stay in the, the lane and it's pretty devastating because you just don't know once you have your children, how you're going to feel. You just, you just don't. Right. So um, I know, and, and also there is a lot of, there is a lot of culture um, right now about women having it all. And I think that's hard, even for me starting a business I've listened to so much stuff about um, hustle and, you know, the side project that you should be devoting to. Mm. And it's, I thought I, and I go through it once I, if I, if my media filter is in that mode that week, then I am like, I want to give up. Cause I was like, I'm never going to be able to make it. Um, or comparing myself to women without children who are able to do that and just thinking, Oh, I'm so behind or something, you know? Mm. Um it's, yeah. It, when I pay attention to, especially, you know, just people in my circle, uh, people I follow, uh, especially women, you're right. Um, that, that and, and it's not just a woman specific problem, but the hustle culture, grind culture, all this, like make the most out of every opportunity and, and you know, like wake up at 4am and work out and then start your business. Like, you know, it, it is, it's a big thing, especially among young women. And, you know, I, I don't know your thoughts on it, but it, it would seem in a lot of senses that a lot of the conversation right now is about um, women focusing on their careers and focusing on, you know, I guess playing the part that, that the same sort of conversation that men kind of talk about, especially when we're talking about finances and stocks and, you know, that, that, that mentality. But it was interesting for me to hear you say that some women just want to stay home after they become mothers. And my whole thing in, in my world has just been like, the only thing we really need to normalize is living your life that is authentic to you. That if you want to participate in that grind culture because you're happy to do so, or you want to run three businesses and be a, a serial entrepreneur and make lots of money, that is okay. Like, absolutely go for it. But if you want to stay home and, and you want to take your life slow and you just want to take the beauty in around you and raise your kids and, and do that, like, that's okay too. I think what yeah, I try totally. to, what I try to talk about is just like, I mean, it's hard, it's easier said than done, but try not to feel pressured by other people's choices around you, you know, and just do what makes you happy. And I think that should be good enough. Totally. I think that, you know, motherhood is, is like a new, a new uh, one group of people to compare yourself to, you know, to other mothers. So 
I mean, I have so I'm in awe and have so much respect to women who choose to have um, a shorter maternity leave because they love their work and they have a caring place to or a husband to um, take care of a baby. Like this is amazing. I mean, we couldn't we could not have made these choices before. Um, but it's it's like, you know, it's just that there's a comparison now of that and in this small women entrepreneurial world like I'm into that now in the past mm. year seeing that and um just because I'm a, a mom I can't compare myself to to that other mother who maybe has more support than I do even that even the support so different from each family how much support you have to what you can accomplish but in terms of hustle I mean what I think is I just hustle intention. Like mm. I feel like as long as I, and that's me being a slow, a slow person. Like I'm just, if I constantly every day, just hustle my intention, I've realized that that's my form of it. Um, and it's a, it's a common conversation I can have with women. You know, I'm into it too. I'm doing it too. It just looks different. It's a different speed. Um, but I have goals. I have dreams and, um, it's more than being a mom, but it's part of being a mom, but it's more than that too. I love that. And I think you saying hustling your intent, like that, like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do as well. I relate to that so heavily. And I love the way you put that because, you know, I do a bunch of different things uh, and have my hand in a, a bunch of different kind of projects and people are like, oh, you must be so busy. But I'm like, I don't feel busy. I still have downtime. <laughs> I still am able to binge watch Netflix or hang out. With I feel my the same way. Yes. But, I feel know, the same way. Like something like this is sure. We might be chatting for an hour, but like, I don't feel like this is taking up. Like, it's just like, I love making the connections and I love helping with mental health. And I love doing the things I do that it never feels like I'm overwhelmed or burdened by, by work and, and hustling your intentions. I'm like, yes, like that's it. Because all, all the things that I do <laughs> yeah. contribute to my goals and to mm-hmm. overall sense of being that like, I want to have my life be. So I, I was like, I might steal it and quote it from you. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I think that, I think sometimes too, from week to week, I don't know what I'm creating in a way. I mean, there's so things are changing so fast and the opportunities are so, um, there's so many opportunities. So, I, I mean, I know, I know exactly what I've created in terms of city love, this social enterprise, but I know that in six months, I, an opportunity could come my way that can shift it and have more impact. And if I'm looking at social impact, which is my, you know, what a social enterprise is, it's, it's, you know, it's for profit, but at the same time, looking at social impact, I don't think you can have a, something that's static. Um, mm it has to, it has to breathe and it has to move because people move and groups move. And we've learned from the pandemic, the world shifts. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What sort of, I mean, you mentioned social enterprise and we haven't really talked about what services and, and what sorts of things that your business city love flowers really does. Um, so, you know, 
what are your what sort of services do you offer and like what are your goals by offering them and especially when it comes to that giving back part that social enterprise part yeah so um i am i'm what they call now a micro grower in terms of um you know there's this big farmer florist movement where people are you know farms are coming up all around our city here in ottawa um, and it's become a movement. This local flower, buy flowers locally, do not get them from overseas, especially when they're in season um, in your community. Um, and um, I grow um, a ton of flowers uh, biointensively in my front and backyards um, on a pretty big lot in the middle of the city. And I also uh, source from local farmers in our area um, as a florist. And so I... Um, People buy bouquets, you, I do uh, small weddings, um, arrangements and other cool initiatives that I'm starting up this summer. And really the heart of it is my flower fund, which is the social enterprise that gives back flowers to uh, rotating charities in our community. So the first, um, I'm working with a, a food center, Parkdale Food Center as my mm -hmm. first um, charity. Um, and we will be, you know, putting bouquets of flowers in the cooler at their safe injection at the safe injection site beside the food on downtown in Ottawa. And it's an expression of, of hope and giving and beauty and um, nourishment in, an, in another way, you know. Um, and so when you purchase from me, there is a give back into the flower fund. And this comes from a project I started last year where people were just donating money to me uh, to donate flowers to isolated seniors. Mm -hmm. And I had such a, a big um, response to this kind of video I put out on Instagram saying, hey, I want to donate bouquets to isolated seniors. If you want to send me money, I will buy the flowers and I will um, do all the work and drop them off um, at a community center where they will put them in food baskets. And this is kind of how City Love was born. And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a florist and I, I support 100% local flowers. And um, I'm really inspired by floral design as an artist. Uh, but also I picture myself as a what I would think a really beautiful community flower shop would be with open doors that everyone can come in and everyone can appreciate the beauty that's in it, you know, um, and it's totally accessible. So the social enterprise is the way for me to um, give back while still being able to have, you know, a business that can grow into some, some dreams that I have for it in the future. Right now, is it just flowers in particular, or um, do you do like other sorts of plants? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Well, I mean, eventually, to be honest, I'm not the best indoor plant person. <laughs> I just always joke that like it's the ephemeral, you know, it's the process. Mm -hmm. Trying to keep something alive through through like thick and thin is has not been something I've ever been too interested in. Mm, okay. um, yeah, so um, I'm really interested in, in getting these flowers to people with a really exceptional vase life and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think there's um, I, there's a lot of neat kind of plans I have of how this could grow into a bigger thing for the community. Um, flowers really are the medium for mm -hmm. change, as I, I mentioned before, um, in a social artist terminology. And um, 
it's just a little seed at this point of, of what we can do. I'm really hoping to attract, um, um, a wedding of someone this summer. This is one of my kind of smaller goals that I can give flowers out of the flower fund and do the bridal bouquets and arch and all these really beautiful flower designs that a couple might not be able to afford otherwise. Um, these are the types of projects that I want to do for my neighbors. Right. Um, I was curious because uh, I haven't so much gotten to getting receiving flowers yet. No one's ever given me flowers, but um, <laughs> I have gotten very uh, into plants lately, especially during the Yeah, pandemic. do you keep them alive? I do. I've, yeah, I, I lost one. Uh, there was a bigger yeah. one that I, I had. Um, and like, I, it, it looked like it was kind of like drooping. So like I, I was watering it cause it looked droopy and I was watering it. And then uh, one day, like I smelled something. I said, like, oh, what does that smell? And then I'm like going around my apartment. It's like, is there a dead animal? Like what is happening? And like, I kind of look in and I lift it up and it was like full of water. I was like, oh right. no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, learning lesson for Ryan. But every other plant has been like, a-okay. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the pandemic and the, and the, the indoor plants has been, a, and there's been some amazing local businesses like do so well. I'm so happy for them helping people yeah. with keeping their plants alive. It's smart. It makes great social content because you have <laughs> yeah. people like me who are like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just, totally. I like the feeling that these the plants give me because it, flowers, plants, all these things and, and incorporating them into, you know, I have a small apartment, um, whether it's your house, your garden. I mean, there is, I, I don't know, like you're also, you said your background is in science. Like, is there like an actual real science to having these things? Because the positive mental health boost just from having like a green plant in your room, it's like palpable. Like you notice right away where you like walk by I know. and you're like, oh my goodness. I, I, I am sure I don't know anything about that's, you know, the brain chemistry of what gets released when we see something alive and we're sad <laughs> inside, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a cultural expression that we all share. I know that, you know, and it's the, the feeling of nostalgia. We all have a memory sense of these things. And I mean, food science is my background and, mm sensory um like food sensory science is really interesting to me because we can um have a food panel and we can tell um we can kind of statistically quantify how someone tastes something but the one thing we can't access is the cultural sense right mm. so um that is the and that's kind of for me the world i i left behind was the science and the world I opened up after becoming a mom was really that, you know, what is that mystical unknown um, that you can't measure? To me, that's, that's the interesting thing, because I think we all want to know, we all want to feel it. Mm -hmm. We all want to understand it. Um, and the only way we can do that is by, is through art, I think. Um, it, you're right, because we're such a, especially now, such a tech, technological society we're data driven like we want to we want to see the numbers we don't like mm. there's not a, any I, i'm not like a religious person at all but there is something i love about spirituality and like exploring those deeper connections uh like we're talking about with plants or talking about things like yoga or meditation 
uh, that deeper self that that can't really be explained, but like, you know, you feel it. Totally. You know, breathing, breathing exercises. I've become super interested in that because yeah, sure. There's not the necessarily the data and science. I mean, there is in some senses, but exploring those deeper connections of self and Mm. how much of a benefit, I mean, you've talked about it with your story, like the benefit of exploring that deeper part of yourself that can only be really explored through art and expression and, and being vulnerable. And, you know, it's just, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. It's really, um, I mean, there is a reason why we give each other flowers, right? (laughs) It's not, there's a, there's something behind all that, that has, is not in my heart is not to do with, um, consumption. And I think, you know, um, for me, becoming a florist, um, it really opened up when I realized that there was a whole new way of floristry and the sustainable floristry where we, um, this big movement to get rid of floral foam, to get rid of all these plastics, to really just honor, honor the nature, honor the thing that you're trying to give. Um, over years, we've become so industrialized and and we haven't even realized that, you know, you're giving this bouquet full of formaldehyde, non-biodegradable floral foam that sits there for decades and decades and decades. And really, you're trying to express like this love and to nature in this, you know, you don't realize you're doing that when you're doing it. So when you're giving that. So um, that was that's really big for me, that there is this this new way of, of being a florist and it has to do with sustainable design. And um, it really comes into the heart and the essence of of giving and creating in the original sense of what we're trying to do, you know, mm. which is an essence of love. Mm. And, you know, city love is, is kind of my gift to, of, of falling in love with, with all of these things and falling in love with myself and where I live and where I'm at. Um, I had a hard time when we first moved to Ottawa, I really didn't fit in. Um, I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I was dealing with this birth trauma, um, not relating to other women, um, other mothers, because I wasn't feeling vulnerable among other reasons. And um, I just knew I had to fall in love with where I was at if I wanted to be okay, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's the biggest... I think, like I said, the biggest thing I've learned and now just try to share with everybody that, you know, the path to healing is really like about connecting and finding your deeper self. And I'm just, you know, I'm grateful that that you found that. I'm grateful that I found it, but also continuously explore it. Um, I like, I'm definitely not done learning about myself and, and figuring yeah. it out. And every day I kind of learn something new and especially with this podcast and, and connecting with people's thoughts and ideas and opinions. I'm like, Ooh, like, I really like that. Okay. Like, let's see if we can incorporate that in my life and maybe adapt it to the things that I'm interested in. And, um, totally. If, if there's yeah. one thing I want as I want people to, to pick that up in their own lives and to yeah. then share it with their networks. Mm-hmm. Totally. It, and it's not over. I'm my twins are, like I said, they're turning 12 in two years. There's so much 
trauma every year is their birthday and it's all about them and quietly mm. inside myself I'm they don't remember this you know um being hooked up to machines and not being able to be held I mean I, I I'm convinced that they don't remember this I won't listen to the science that says that they, they that my daughter is worse off because I couldn't hold her I know that she was surrounded by love um and I know she has been since and she's okay but yeah, it is triggering for me. And then I have to kind of go back there. You know, I have to remind myself sometimes what makes me feel okay. What makes me feel better? What do I need to do? You know, and sometimes I just do one thing or sometimes I have to start a whole process again. I don't know. I don't know. In two days, I don't know what I'll wake up having to do, but there will, will be some work to do for sure. You, you brought up such an important point. And this was something I refer back to the conversation I had with um, not only uh, Ainsley, who is the doula, but I, I don't know if you've ever connected with Jen Ditchfield, who's in Ottawa, but she kind of runs a business around motherhood and, you know, getting women back to work or exploring their career options. But I've had this kind of conversation with both of them. It's, you touched on that pressure women and mothers have because there is this cultural conversation around what is healthy for the baby and the child. So you mentioned, you know, physically holding them and how they're going to be better off or whether it's breastfeeding or, you know, all these sorts of different things that women have pressure on to perform. And when they are, they either can't or unable to for whether it's a physical reason or something that happened with, with you that how much that weighs on, on, women and mothers and how they can feel defeated and how they like it just has such an impact because you you have so much pressure and you just want to be a great mother and, but you can't perform the things that society sometimes tells you you have to do mm-hmm. I had I had that so so deeply I mean um let's just say you know not having the perfect birth and not having the baby come out in the way that I was told is best for the baby. Forget about this, um, you know, the rights of womanhood and having vaginal births, like forget about that. Cause that's a whole thing, but mm. also just this, the stats and the information about not having a baby go through the, the birth canal and, and what it can do to your child. And, and even, you know, being asked, later on when she's had difficulty or something and reading a questionnaire that says, well, what kind of birth does she have? I'm like, well, what does it matter to you? Like you might read a certain science, but my science is love and she is fine. She came out the way she needed to come because she needed to be alive. She wanted to be alive and that's what happened. And it's, I say that with a lot of conviction now, but it wasn't until maybe two years ago that I, I said it all along, but now I believe it. Mm. Um, and with my third, um, my third baby, I, you know, all my friends have water births, home births. Like this is the, this is my group. This is, these are my women, you know, and I actually chose to have an elective cesarean section for my third baby, which was not a popular decision in my, you know, in my realm of women. Um, and I, I had to do that because I just knew it was the only way for me to have another baby. Mm. And it was the most healing, amazing experience. And it's interesting because usually when women have cesarean sections and then they have a vaginal birth after, 
that is the story. I have had the vaginal birth after, and it was so redeeming. I finally felt like a woman. I finally got over the birth trauma of not having the right birth. And I find that so interesting, Mm. you know, because for me, I had the exact same experience. I had all of those. I had control. Finally, I had, you know, I got to, I had a baby that was well, um, that was able to breastfeed right away. And I had a cesarean. So it's, it's all, you know, and then not to mention, I couldn't, my daughter with the, the brain injury, she wouldn't breast, she couldn't breastfeed. So I pumped for her for a year and I felt so guilty. And now when I look back and I think I see pictures of me hooked up to one baby nursing on the breast and the other, the other one drinking from a bottle that I just pumped from. I did that 24 hours a day for a year and I still felt guilty. Like, what is that? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And like the, the women in my life, like my mother's, you know, my stepmother, my mother, my grand, everyone was so proud of me. Everyone who knew me was mm. proud of me. And I didn't listen to those people. I, I don't know who I was listening to. I wasn't even on social media then. So I, I don't even know what I had absorbed, but I had absorbed a feeling of failure. Um, and that's just, that's a tragedy, you know, that, that my moments with, with these children were filled with feeling like a failure. And that's, it's, it's not uncommon, you know, whatever your story is, too fast birth, too slow birth, too perfect, you know, too much support, too little support. It's all there, you know? So yeah, I've lived it. It, you're, how we have these preconceived notions of what is right and what is wrong. And when those expectations aren't quote unquote met, uh, the, the guilt and sense of dread and the, the depression and anxiety that we have surrounding all these things, whether it's motherhood or whether it's how we perform at work or our careers or our finance, it is just, it is so interesting how that just becomes a part of our mentality. And, you know, you could never even explain how that, how it got there in the first place. And then how hard it is to break that mold and get out of your, get out of your own head and, 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 and out of what all those things are meant to be. You know, I'm, I'm so deeply grateful and thankful that women like you not only share this story with my audience and, and, and other women and, and put this out publicly because I, I, it has to be difficult and, and, and not an easy thing to do, but thankful that I get to share in these conversations as well, because when I started having, you know, like I, met, I referenced Jan before, you know, it was the first time I really thought of my own mother and my own grandmothers as not just my mother, but as like a woman. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was so eye opening to me because it was just that revelation that like, my mom is someone who had, who has, you know, thoughts and dreams and, and maybe had these things too, when I was born or, or my brothers. And you know, it's something I never even considered because she's my mom. She's just my mom. And it just, it's given me so much perspective and time to reflect on, you know, the, the respect and admiration I have for, for my mom and for my grandmothers and for other women out there who go through things like this. It's just, you know, I just like, thank you for, for being open oh. that and sharing. Oh. This is great. I'm so, I'm so happy to be vulnerable with you. It's great. 
Um, we've talked about a lot of serious things, but I do have a question as, as, a, as a guy who regularly purchases flowers. What are some of the best I can do to impress, impress you know, the, the girl on the first date or impress my mom on Mother's Day? You know, what are some of those like really good things? Because I, you know, like the, the very typical ones uh, that kind of like are readily available roses, for example. But like, what are some of like those really good ones that like, you know, for me and anyone listening, that's really going to be like, Ryan did a good job. I think that I, I, what I've noticed is a lot of women have a flower story, whether it's a peony bush that they talked about once or um, something, something that they remember, something that they love, something that they point out and know it's a common, like, what is your favorite flower? You know, it's yeah. actually true. Women tend to have some like this wild look and some, you know, love roses. And what I would say is, um, you know, if, if you have a, if you're connected to a woman who loves roses and it's not rose season, then, and it's, there are seasonal flowers available Choose some, some, a farm choose someone locally and ask them, uh, say our florist, you know, call mm. me and say, um, my, my mom has a love for roses and I, I can't, I don't know where to get local roses. And I'll say to you, it's actually not, I don't have any, but I have Lysianthus. They're grown half an hour away from here. They look just like roses and you can tell your mom, you know, that the, you can tell your mom that, that these were mm. grown locally and she'll love them even more. So mm. Um, yeah, and supporting our, our local farmers and um, florists. There's so many florists that are choosing local locally sourced flowers now. I mean, that alone is just giving flowers that are not um, grown with chemicals, with pesticides and herbicides that have not been flown in, um, that have not been uh, worked with, with workers' rights that are dismal, um, even the intention of putting, uh, of purchasing that and giving that to someone, I think you can feel it. You know, I, mm. I don't think, I know you can feel it. It's just a different expression. Mm. Um, and that's what local flowers are about. It's not just, you know, like, it's not a simple thing. It's actually quite deep. You're supporting a, you're supporting a farm, a family. Mm -hmm. Often women run um, farmers um, you're supporting a local business and um, a product that's grown in soil that has been loved, you know, the same soil that you live on, you know, mm. so everything's been treated lovely. And I think that shows in, in the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And we could have a whole conversation on workers' rights and, and soil production and mass consumption <laughs> yeah. on agriculture. Yeah, sure. it's all of that, right? It's, um, it's all that in beauty, which mm -hmm. is so special about flowers because it's showing you the, be the beauty and making that choice. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, I did want to ask about the connection between flowers and men. So we talked about toxic masculinity a little bit. And I also kind of like jokingly referenced, no one's ever bought me flowers. Are we maybe seeing a transition, uh, I mean, in your business about from your experience of like men being on like not the giving end, but like the receiving end or becoming more interested in this and being more. Oh, yeah. It? There are so many high end male floral designers right mm -hmm. now and um, growers 
And I mean, I don't know, I don't know who they, you know, who their audience, I think their audience is actually women mm-hmm. as well, mostly, but we need to take it past the boutonniere. Like right. these, you know, I, it's just, I mean, there's, there's like, there's a renaissance happening right now with boutonnieres and I love, love, love it. Um, but there's gotta be more to just that, right? Cause the boutonniere goes on a like suit jacket for one occasion. So yeah, but in, I don't know in terms of the, the consumer level of it. Um, but I know in terms of design and in terms of growers, there's some amazing people that I follow. Um, Lewis Miller in particular in New York city does this really cool community art, floral design stuff. That's out of this world. I, I probably know almost equal amount in terms of floral design, mm-hmm. men and women. Um, it's not really a female in, in our area it is right now, but it's not in, in the larger, you know, North America, it's not really as female led as it is here. It's, Mm. it's really diverse, you know, not just, you know, got you back. (laughs) Sort of. I don't know if it's my internet or your internet. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so I, I hear what you're saying. And that's quite interesting. And maybe that's the start of transforming, you know, how we, how men in particular look at flowers and, and maybe getting them. I totally forgot about the boutonniere too. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you said you, you kind of soft launch, but you're, you're really getting into like a bigger launch. So when is like that happening? Where can people follow you and find more information yeah. to maybe purchase? So um, my website will be live. I've made a whole new website uh, really based on uh, the community work that I'm doing as well as, you know, easy to shop if you are looking to just buy local flowers. Um, it's uh, cityloveflowers.ca and it's coming out on Earth Day, which is April 22nd. Mm. Um I was supposed to have a big backyard launch party with my friends and now it's <laughs> locked down. So it'll be another quiet, a quiet launch here uh, with my family, which really is what it's about. So as long as we have cake, I'll be good. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have some really cool partnerships with local businesses. I'll be popping up around the city um, this summer. Um, I do consulting because uh, I am a really experienced gardener and I, you know, we didn't really touch on how magnificent it can be to grow a ton of flowers in your front yard Mm -hmm. and uh, how that can really change your streetscape and your neighborhood. Um, And so, yeah, you can email me, all my contact information will be there and you can follow me on Instagram as well. What's the handle for Instagram? City Love Flowers. City Love Flowers. Perfect. Yeah. Kate, this was, uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your time um, and your energy to being vulnerable with me. Um, This was amazing. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for the chat. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.